Adrian? He was a sociopath. He said that I could never leave him. He controlled how I looked and what I wore, that I was controlling when I left the house, and eventually what I thought. I've been like rapidly writing notes because the more I think about this one, the more I have to say about it. Okay, that's good. The more I mole, the more, you know, kind of comes about from it. Yeah, yeah. No one wanted to watch this movie with me, so I was alone. Really? Why not? I don't think any of them vibe with horror films, though I made them see Get Out when it came out and they really liked it. So it's just, the payoff is obviously always, I feel like, good, but it's just like getting through the tough bits of horror films. <laughs> you gotta yeah, watch. Yeah, yeah. On Friday night, and we watched Mulan. Oh, yeah, how was it? How was it? <laughs> I actually quite enjoyed it. <laughs> okay, good. But yeah, it was like a much needed modern adaptation, like what we're talking about today. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's not really the animated film because it's it's quite different. Like most of the characters are the same, but their yeah. personalities and how they tell the story are very different. But the costumes are great, the you know landscapes and the scenery. And it's just much more respectful to Chinese culture. Good, good. And yeah, Jet Li is in it. Oh really? Yeah. No, I th- I had we enjoyed it. We had fun. We thought it they it actually would have been really cool to see on the big screen because it's very much like you know it has the sort of landscape imagery of like a crouching tiger where it has like the epic. Yeah. But it also has like the humor and over the topness of a like an old fashioned Kung Fu film. Hmm. So. That's, that's the thing. This is, this feels like one of the, I'm sure there's others I'm not thinking of. This feels like a movie that was quite impacted by not having a, by Corona, basically. Like Invisible Man not coming to cinema is a shame, but I think it works on a smaller screen. Whereas, two weeks in cinema, but it, it had a few weeks in cinema, but not a lot. Invin- Invisible Man, I thought it had a little bit of time. Oh, uh, maybe, maybe I thought uh, uh, maybe it did. I thought I thought it hit. Maybe they rushed it to on demand because of it. Yeah, that's what I think I read. Hmm. Any interesting pop culturey things to discuss? I don't think anything has happened this week. Nothing that I've seen. I've been. Uh, Sam was upset this morning because apparently a famous cricketer commentator died, and it's all over Twitter, but not on my Twitter. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> cricket is not my uh, not my bag. Yeah, it's like when I tell him all about this, like the movie and comic and book stuff. He's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, I' looking forward. Thank you for doing this book with me. Is the last few books we've done have been shorter and much easier to get through. But, I mean, this one only took me a day to read, so. I did it in a couple of sittings, yeah. So, welcome to book club, Sean. It's you and me. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I, I'm, I'm, I refuse to, to miss one. Oh, oh, my God, this is a challenge now. <laughs> Don't say that. It's just, just me and you who've been to all of them, so I'm not... Uh... Do you feel, I feel like proud having like stuck with and like made some of them certainly. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really appreciate you going, let's do one a week. That's been a bit of a pain. <laughs> You're going to get but... a holiday soon. <laughs> you get two weeks. Yeah, true. 
Well, to be fair, I'm other than watching. You're up to date. I'm about to find the next one now. Yeah, other than watching, I'm thinking of ending things. I'm done. I've read Days of Bag Not Summer. I've watched it. I've read. I'm thinking of ending things. Mm. So. Yeah, I haven't thought about. I have to like. I. I mean, I have books on the list, but I haven't decided what like the next string books because yeah. some of them are a little bit heftier so i'm not gonna be able to do them a couple of couple of weeks couple of weeks yeah I'm, i kind of want to do that what's the devil all the time one? Oh, it's, the new uh is it tom holland movie it's on netflix yeah yeah what was it i think it's called the devil the devil something devil time. yeah it's it looks like a very laddish type of movie. Like the sort of brother. The Devil all the Time, yeah. The Robert Pattinson, Tom Holland movie. I kind of think about it. That one looks kind of interesting. What's that, sorry? That one looks kind of interesting to do. I have to look how long the book is. It's more of a book book. Mm. And then also, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Netflix is really easy and they're putting out a lot of interesting stuff right now. And I, I don't want to do anything where we'd have to go to the cinemas to see it, obviously. But the... Anola Holmes one I kind of want to do for a fact. This one. I don't know about that. I can do it on my own. It's fine. <laughs> Ellie's giving me the thumbs down for that one. Okay. Well, uh, I have the my list. Because I have been like updating lists. Because they've been like announcing stuff kind of randomly. So... I just sort of add things. Oh, I'll do Anola Holmes. It's got my boy uh, Sam Kaplan in it. And Henry Cavill, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. He's looking fine in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, The Devil of Time, Anola Holmes. Oh, on Amazon, you know what looks like a really fun one? The Gloria's film about Gloria Steinem. Oh, really? I haven't seen this. The biography of Gloria Steinem that they've adapted into a film called The Glorias, and it's looking at Gloria Steinem through, like, every 10 years, and they have different actresses playing her in each, like, iteration. I think Julianne oh, Moore yeah, plays yeah, yeah. her in one of them, but I think it's coming out on Amazon. It's quite an interesting cast. Yeah. What did I... I feel like I've seen the, I've seen the trailer for it. Oh, and Janelle Monae is in it. Yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, I just saw that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Julianne Moore, yeah, yeah, it's a decent cast. That one, and then... If it comes out on streaming, though, I feel like they're going to try and do it on cinema. I kind of think the Death on the Nile might be fun. The Agatha Christie book. How long is Death on the Nile? I feel like Death on the Nile is a long Agatha Christie books are like the same size as this. They're really short. Mm. Death on the Nile is not a long book. It's, you know, Kenneth Branagh. Oh, yeah. And it had, um, Johnny Depp isn't in it, which is a bonus. That is a bonus, yes. Okay, so like, there's lots of options, yeah. is what you're saying. Meaning every week we have a new one. <laughs> those, are, <laughs> those are long books. I mean, I have nothing in my life, so I can read all the time. You, on the other hand. <laughs> yeah, I've got a few things going on. So, this week we are covering The Invisible Man, and it's inspired film, Invisible Man. I can't really say, I feel it's unjust to say adaptation, because that's... Yeah, I think, I, th- I think this is... Of all the books to film we've covered, I think this is the most separate in terms of what they've done with the source material. Yes. Do you want to start us off by talking about the book? I can't have them public speaking for a very long time, so uh, yeah, bear Are you with me. talking to me? <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess. But Ellie's here as well in the background. No, no, the... Ellie, look away. Don't look at the, don't look at him. <laughs> 
Okay, yes, so uh, as Nora said, we are doing, well, we've done The Invisible Man this week. Uh, written by H.G. Wells, one of the originators of what we consider the science fiction genre. Um, originally serialised and published in 1897. Is this the oldest book we've done? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, I think oh, this... I think this oh, no, what Little was... Written. What's that? Little Women. Oh, I was thinking Lovecraft as well. When was Lovecraft? Oh, I don't know. I feel like they would be of a similar... I think Little Women would be older, surely. Mm, maybe. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the blurb... Um, it is an artful combination of psychological thriller and science fiction novel. A young scientist who discovers the secret of invisibility feels initial joy at his newfound freedoms and abilities, but quickly turns to despair when he realises the many things he has sacrificed in the pursuit of science. While he struggles to cr create the formula that will restore his visibility and his connection to other people, murder and mayhem ensue. I'm not sure he's doing a very good job at connecting with people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. Kind. He's not, he wasn't out to make friends. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. Um, do you want me to run through the, the yeah, basic yeah. structure? Yeah. Okay, so um, the novel is it's fairly straightforward. So a strange man completely covered in clothing and bandages arrives in Iping England and takes a room at the Coach and Horses Inn. He meets Mrs. Hall, the inn's proprietor. He explains to her that he is an experimental investigator. She notes that he is quite rude to her and how bizarre his wrappings are. Uh, a little carrier brings the stranger's luggage to the inn. He notes that he is, notes that it is full of scientific equipment. His dog snaps at him, ripping his clothes. He stays in the town isolated, experimenting his room for the next couple of months. The local doctor, Cuss, accidentally sees what he thinks is an invisible arm. The local vicarage run by Rev Bunting and Mrs Bunting is burgled. The same day, the halls notice that the stranger is missing. They ask the local locksmith to change the lock. They're suspicious that when he returns, that he suddenly has money that he didn't have before. Finally, the stranger reveals his invisible face to the villagers. The local constable, uh, Bobby Jeffers, tries to arrest him, but he manages to escape. Once outside of the town, he seeks help from a man, Thomas Marble, uh, whom he stumbles upon on the side of the road, contemplating his own shoes. Marvel agrees to help and steals back his belongings from the coach and horses. A villager, Mr. Huxer, tries to catch him but fails. Uh, the invisible man smashes windows and cuts the telegraph wire as everyone tries to chase him down. Marvel tries to leave, but the Invisible Man threatens to kill him. Marvel meets a mariner who, who tells him stories about the Invisible Man, but he is stopped just before he gives him away. Then we meet Dr. Kemp in Port Burdock. Marvel bursts into town asking for help. The Invisible Man arrives on the scene and there is a confrontation and one of the men tries to shoot him. The Invisible Man arrives at Kemp's where it is revealed that he knew him at university and was a few years below him, Griffin. He proceeds to tell him the story of how he became invisible. He says he plans a reign of terror, killing people as he sees fit. Kemp secretly sends word to a friend, Colonel Adid, asking for aid in stopping Griffin. Adid arrives at Kemp's house and tries to arrest Griffin, who flees and murders a man, Mr. Wicksteed, in a field. Griffin writes a letter to Kemp, threatening him, and then comes back. Aid and Kemp are holed up in the house and try to fight him. Mobs of people arrive and he is accidentally beaten to death. It's at this point that he becomes visible. 
We have a short epilogue in which Marvel has used the money he's stolen with Griffin to start his own inn. And it is at this point it is revealed that he has kept all of Griffin's elaborate notes on the invisibility formula. Yes, and he will have them till he dies. <laughs> Spoilers to anyone who hasn't read the book. But <laughs> as it's, you know, it's just kind of, I feel like the Invisible Man is just part of sort of pop culture almost. It's to the point that, you know, you have like Hotel Transylvania, where it's just like a funny character, a man with these bandings on. Yeah, yeah. and you've got stuff like, it's, it's at a point now where, uh, like Alan Moore uses the character in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because he's bringing this kind of pantheon of um, famous sci-fi icons together. Um, it is like ingrained now. It's like it's like Frankenstein, like Dracula. It's this kind of monster. It's interesting reading it. It's less sci-fi than I would think. Mm, I I thought it was I thought it was really interesting how. Uh, they they explain it. They explain it. You have a whole chapter essentially where he's talking through the mechanics of how. Oh it yes. Came so he the... we we didn't mention. So he studied like lights and how light reflects, and essentially mm-hmm. he was able to inject himself with something, and then there was like some sort of apparatus around him that is able to make light bounce off of you. And the science sounds real. It's science. It's not fiction, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're, they're using real science. Like, they're looking at, like, glass and light density and water. Yeah. Like, and for the, for the time, like, 1800s, this is, like, really kind of... I can't imagine reading this serialised and that being the chapter you get that month, where yeah. it's just lots of stuff about light refractions. I suppose it is, like, the way the book is laid out. Like, there are all these very short little chapter sections, and mm. I'm guessing that's how it was serialised and how it was coming out through whatever newspaper they were putting it in yeah i mean it, it felt like very old timey in these sort of small villages where everyone knows each other and is very suspicious of any sort of newcomers who are slightly different and i wonder if it would have ended the way it did because you know a, the people kind of really antagonize him for a lot of it rather than help him which i found mm-hmm. and if like Mrs. Hall had kind of just left him alone to like do as he wished. Would he have sort of gotten so angry at them? Maybe I. I feel like there was always there was always an undercurrent of kind of anger with him. Like it didn't take much for him to kind of become enraged. Um, and there were moments where it felt like he was he was kind of toying with some of the villagers. Like there's a bit where he comes back and he starts. Um, throwing the furniture and stuff around the coach and horses in. And it feels very much like the invisibility is kind of slowly pushing him over the edge. But I was reading a little bit about like H.G. Wells and why he wrote this story. And I remember reading this like in doing like philosophy classes, but it's essentially based off of Plato's Republic and the idea that if a man is given the choice to go invisible, his moral compass would go out the window and the idea that your virtues are tied to your reputation and that if you can get away with any type of injustice that would not destroy your reputation, uh, you would do so because it is more profitable to you. And Plato argues that a man who abuses his power is a slave to his appetites. Mm. So, and that's a concept that H.H. Wells had read about and studied and really kind of felt akin to and the sort of what he, he was writing that person who would... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, just like extrapolating that out to its logical kind of 
mega conclusion like yeah but there's like the other layer of obviously there's some undertones of racism in this but the idea <laughs> of he mentions you know he's albino and you could feel there was sort of a, a, an anger towards being different and being suspicious of people because probably as an albino, he was stared at a lot mm -hmm. and was he was sort of a social outcast. And that's how people would recognize him because of his looks. And that's sort of where maybe the desire to become invisible because he was so different, visible. Mm. And to be able to be almost more part of society. Yeah, that, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of like reclaiming his kind of identity by going by turning himself invisible is like a an interesting thought yeah no it's hard to stand out and I, i'm sure like just in that period in history to be different is certainly not something that was revered mm. for people especially if you're you know he obviously did not have wealth to kind of support himself so he you know he stole from his father to be able to do his scientific research so for him to be on the fringe kind of really pushed him over the edge probably and into that sort of very angry and violent place hmm. but i thought it was really telling just sort of society in the fact that none of the characters were tried to actually understand where his anger came from like even with kemp like he sold him out kind of right away and i didn't really feel like he was listening to him when yeah. he explained explain his story if with with when he met Kemp, it felt like the first time he had like a sympathetic ear. Yeah, and it, 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 it felt like Kemp was. I thought the story was going to take that direction where Kemp was yeah. going to help him. But then the more that Griffin reveals to him, and he starts revealing these things he's done, like um, tying up the man whose house he was in and leaving him in like this bag, like uh, attacking people in the department store. Um, the more he told Kemp about these things, I think that's what scared Kemp and pushed him to the point where he felt he had to had to act. Yeah, it, yeah, and just the like the idea I think as well of invisibility as a whole, which I am now very against from reading and watching this. It just sort of like you know the the meme that goes around everywhere where it's like expectations versus reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like. The expectation where he's talking to Kemp about what it, the power of having invisibility and what he could do with it and like just prove everyone wrong. And then the reality of like him trying to like seal clothes so he's so cold yeah. and he has to, you know, sleep in this like department store and just, in, you know, yeah. and obviously like if, if it's raining or cold or snowing yeah. or muddy, yeah. he can't go anywhere because it immediately ruins like, the effect. Oh, you're invisible. You're also naked. <laughs> and you're also going to get cold. I thought it was like fascinating the bit uh, about like how food wasn't invisible. Yes. That was really cool. Like until it had been like processed by his body. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Those little like notes and then about because about the retina as well because you scientifically like you couldn't if you tried to make the eye invisible then you wouldn't see as well so you need mm. that to bounce light off to be able to see anything so that's why it like had to stay there yeah yeah so i think i really appreciate like the research into the accuracy because it can just be like some fantastical concept of be invisibility but like h mm. wells also like batch it up like i have the science you yeah, know, whether yeah. or not I know how to make you invisible, I know how it works. I think at the time, I think that would have made it more more concerning and scary because it's like 
he's presenting like the theoretical science behind it, which would be a terrifying thought. Like in 2020, it's like, it's, you can't be invisible. That's fine. But you, like, you can. <laughs> <laughs> totally um, happenings. Don't deny it, John. <laughs> I mean, I hope it's not happening. Jesus. I <laughs> <laughs> to bring it to you. Yeah, but I guess that's where the science fiction comes from. Like, it is very rooted in that science, but it's taken to the kind of the furthest point. Yeah. Well, the idea, like, just thinking about, like, when they use the example of, like, white paper, and then when you put oil on it, and it makes paper transparent. Yeah, yeah. That's true. And, like, if you could figure out a way to do that with humans, which, you know, in theory seems plausible, but, you I mean, I... I don't know if I found it fantastical in the sense because it's, you know, done in like the late 1800s. Yeah. I just find it like an enjoyable, fun little read. Yeah, yeah, the same. Yeah. There was there was parts where I found the style of it, but that's just from the period. I found yeah. the style of it a little a little hard going, but overall the kind of narrative and the story of it was like fun, engaging, kind of pulled me through the rest of it um yeah. and it did a few things like it took a few turns that i wasn't quite expecting and went in a couple of directions that i thought was thought was interesting um yeah. like i thought thomas marvel was like a really interesting like side character and note i know he was just this like unsuspecting guy he was just like chilling on the side of the road trying to decide yeah, yeah. a pair of shoes to wear just <laughs> you know he didn't <laughs> deserve this no and there were some quite funny bits as well i think too. yeah i thought that yeah like the the scene where one of the main like battle sequences where like the townspeople are trying to stop him and they're like jumping over and then he kicks them. Yeah. It's like all that stuff. I was like, oh, this is kind of like slapstick, I think. Of yeah, 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 exactly that. Yeah, yeah. He's obviously like, and he's just like, you could really see his descent into madness. Like you could feel yourself going crazy. And I could see yeah. like anyone would go crazy. Just like that he has this power of, being invisible but it's actually not a power because he's still human yeah and just so that, that was that's the fact that's the really good thing about it i think for it where it is yeah this is like an incredible power to have but the whole time he is just a man like so the the, the chaps i enjoyed most were when he was talking to kemp and telling him about going to oxford street staying in the department store all these things that like despite being invisible, he had to go and find shelter somewhere and find somewhere to sleep. And like the fact that he was almost undone by some kids who saw like his muddy footprints. He was just a guy. Yeah. And that's how it ended. I think the ending of like when he's killed and he like becomes visible. It's like, mm. it's just man, he can be killed even though he like has this superpower. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. really matter at the end of the day. And that, the, like, the, the whole mob mentality thing at the end was like quite brutal. Yes. I thought that was like, again, it's, it's that Frankenstein thing, like the kind of the mob mentality fighting the monster. He's, he's not, he was like, he did do horrific things, but he wasn't really a monster. He was just a man who'd like gone over the edge. Yes, and needed a good therapist and to be locked <laughs> up in a padded cell for a little while. Mm. So, uh, and I guess that brings me to the film. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> to note, the book has been adapted in, into at least 14 films <laughs> and eight TV shows, which includes various radio 
shows and plays wow. as well as like other like we talked about league of Australia gentlemen where it's like team things too like mm-hmm. hotel transylvania and like other <laughs> stuff where that character just shows up yeah so it was released in february february 28th this year it was directed and written by uh lee or lay lee wannell so he's Australian. Lee, I believe, is. Lee. Yeah. Lee Wannell, he's Australian. He directed Upgrade, Insidious, Chapter 3, but he also wrote the Saw and Insidious franchise, all the films. So he's like a very... He knows how to write horror films. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Have you seen Upgrade? Upgrade is no, really right. fantastic. See, I only ha- ever see a horror film because of you, really. <laughs> I never... I'm not someone who would turn that on. Okay. Even if it's like well reviewed, I just the payoff is yes good, but I just can't bring myself to it. So yes, <laughs> and he's also done like some acting um, as well. It stars Elizabeth Moss, who plays Cecilia Cass, who we know in a lot of things. She's Handmaid's Tale. She was in like The Kitchen last year. Her smell, uh, obviously Mad Men, and she's very successful. Yes. Oliver Jackson Cohen, who plays Adrian Griffin. Also, Griffin is the name of the Invisible Man in the book. Which... Yeah, I'd like that. That is one of the few things that tie them together. So I will bring about. There are some parallels that I extrapolated, but it might be just in my mind. <laughs> uh, me, me too. Me too. We'll get. We'll get there. <laughs> so he's been in things like Haunting on Hill House, Emerald City, Dracula, Mr. Selfridge, Harriet Dyer, who plays her sister Emily Cass who's been in some TV shows like The Other Guy and The In-Between, Aldous Hodge, who plays James Lanier, her friend that she's staying with, who's been in Clemency, What Men Want, which is what I remembered him from, (laughs) (laughs) Turn, Leverage, Storm Reed, who plays Sydney Lanier, his daughter, who was in Wrinkle and Chime, Euphoria, and then Michael Dorman, who plays Adrian Griffin's brother, Tom Griffin. And it was produced by Universal Pictures, Bloom House, Goldpost Pictures, Nervous Tick Productions, and Screen Australia. So, in researching this, before we start, to have mm-hmm. in perspective, the film adaptation started in 2006. And I don't know wow. if you saw this. Well, this is what they think it So The process started in 2006. And it's because, do you remember when Universal Pictures announced Universe Dark? Yes. This film was meant to be a part of that wow with with the same director attached no so it was originally starring johnny depp (laughs) right as the invisible man (laughs) that would have been incredibly awkward if that had happened (laughs) and it was because so when the mummy came out which was the first one of that Uh, universe uh, it completely tanked they were like we can't do this no (laughs) people destroy them I remember, so, I remember seeing like the promos where they had all the different elements of them and they had like really big names doing these movies. Yeah. But yeah, the mummy was the only one that ever happened, yeah. So they decided, okay, we have these properties that we're developing, so we're going to do something with them anyway, but we're going to not have them in like a shared universe and then just try and do like little independent films about mm-hmm. these characters. So this is the first one of that concept. And they approached Le Wano because he, uh, Le Wano because he did upgrade and that was so successful. So they wanted his take on it. Yes. And his concept was, which I think is really interesting, was 
I would do the film from the perspective of the victim. So that's how this started. And the film costs seven million, which is very tiny, mm -hmm. and grossed 134 million. So obviously, those are the numbers you want. Those are the numbers you want. Uh, though I feel like they would have spent more than that if it was the Johnny Depp version. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Okay, it's interesting because I think um, Elizabeth Moss is the only really big name attached to this. Reed has become. I know. I I recognized her, and then. Um, Aldous Hodge, who plays the best friend she's staying with. Mm. They're not nothing actors, but yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I think, I think the performances are really good. Um, but it's not like one of those Hollywood posters where you put like 15 names on it. Yeah. And every one of them has been in 100 movies you've seen. Yeah. So, the layout of the film. And we can kind mm -hmm. of, if you want to interject and... Yes, cool. So, Cecilia Cass, it, the film opens up. And also, I want to make a nod to the opening title sequence, when you have the water washing up onto the shore of the side of the cliff where the house is, and the water washes yeah. up and reveals the title of the film. I know it's cheesy, but that I felt like, I loved it. It felt really classic horror, yeah. that moment. I liked it a lot. I thought that was so brilliant as a way to open it. Yeah. So you see her sort of like, she clearly hasn't been asleep, and she sort of wakes up in the middle of the night, and you see her like, packing her stuff frantically and like walking back and forth through this like huge open sort of haunting house it's just like mm. void of any personality yeah yeah and you realize because she has like a pill bottle that she's drugged him with diazepam and then she makes a mistake as she's escaping to try and take their dog zeus and when she takes his collar off it sets the alarm so she makes a run for it and then once she's like past the house, she meets her sister on the road, and oh, uh, they they do. There's a bit right at the start, sorry, where um, there you go. when she's when she's escaping, she goes into like this gorgeous giant like walk-in closet, mm. um, yeah. and she's got like a like a secret hollowed-out area, which she's got like her getaway bag stowed in it. Yeah, um, and they set that up now because that comes into play. Yes. and you see the birth control pills in the bag. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's lots of like. Tiny little things that he, he's dropping these breadcrumbs as you're watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite clever that way. So, and then the husband, he sort of chases, uh, runs up to the car and he punches through the window and they sort of like drive off frantically. But you see that she's accidentally dropped the diazepam the drug bottle onto the ground and he picks it up with his bloody hand. Then you're two weeks later, and she's hiding at the house of her friend, who's James Lanner, and his daughter, Sydney, who, but I just want to make a nod to that relationship between the father and daughter I thought was beautiful. Me just too, like, yeah. And like a single so father well. raising a daughter, being really supportive of like, I need more of this on my screen. I thought it was great. He, he was like the ideal man as well, that there's moments in this movie where he handles even the worst situations so well, but like incredibly believably. Yeah. Yeah. No, really thought, great performance from him, I thought. Yeah. So her sister comes and visit and tells her that her husband, well, ex husband, whatever, has committed suicide. And she's obviously like really still shell shock at this point and very just not over it because she's been heavily abused. And they, her and her sister, go to see her husband's brother Tom, who had invited her to a will reading where she got bequeathed a portion of his fortune 
upon the stipulation that she doesn't commit a crime, another <laughs> breadcrumb, and then she uses that money to set up the college fund for Sydney. She then starts to feel like she's being watched. And you have like the first scene where I think it's just like the back of her neck. She feels like she feels something. And you have these like, he starts to have these like really long shots just in a corner of the room. And you're just staring at that corner of the room. <laughs> yeah. Kind of feel like, am I paranoid? You know, you're like squinting at the screen. Should I be looking for like a little movie or something? desperate to see stuff the whole time with those things. I was just like, <laughs> holding my eyes open looking for stuff yeah just like a flutter of something yeah so <laughs> so you kind of like start to feel that with her as mm -hmm. you're like looking for something that's moving and then the sort of like the first big bit is that in the middle of the night she's sleeping in the same room with sydney and the comforter gets like pulling off the bed and then the lights start to flicker she sort of like wakes up with a start and she tries to like pull the blanket and she sees these like footprints holding down the blanket and then they're kind of moving and she like then she like pulls it away and she like screams because she sees like then the the butt print in the seat yeah. and then everyone comes in and she's like he's he someone was here he's here <laughs> but she feels crazy obviously then she goes to a job interview where she's talking to this guy and then she opens her portfolio and all her work is missing that she would have put in there. And then she suddenly like stands up and gets really dizzy and faints. And then she goes to the hospital. And I have to point that out this little bit where there's a guy getting wheeled in front of her who has the white bandages wrapped around him. Yeah, I, I thought that was a cute little nod. That yeah. was like, there's a tiny bit of fan service, it's very subtle, <laughs> which I appreciated. Then when she gets at home, she's in her bathroom and she uh, gets a call from the doctor who says that she took too much diazepam. She's like, I never took any diets, Pam. What are you talking about? And then she sees this blood-covered pill bottle of the diazepam that she had dropped in front of her husband. So she's like, you know, obviously something is happening. He's stalking her. And then she goes to her sister to ask for help, who's angry at her because she received an email from her saying how horrible she was. But she's like, I didn't send an email. So she's like, she realizes what he's doing and sort of gaslighting her and slowly driving her crazy. Yeah. There was a moment after this scene where I was like, wow, I can't believe her sister like didn't give her like a, a chance to explain or like, cause she's been through a lot. And then you see, um, sees character Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss's character, Cecilia goes home and looks at her sent emails and you see the stuff, the context of this email and like, there's some pretty heavy stuff in there. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I can, I can kind of understand why Emily didn't want to. <laughs> is this the point when the sister says, and this is like a very specific thing to like people not believing women when her sister says, well, you don't realize when like someone's a loser and you need to just drop them and that's your own fault. Yeah, yeah. And she says, you know, it's like, you're, it's your fault you didn't realize he was a bad egg and you didn't leave, that sort of idea. Then, yeah, she realizes that he had sent the email from her email account and then she kind of just completely breaks down and she's like sobbing on the ground and Sydney then finds her and tries to comfort her and then she gets hit in the face. And I'm just, <laughs> which is, and there's no lead up to it. So just like. Yeah, this was a really great scene, I thought. And then like James rushes is and he's like, my priority is my daughter and I'm getting her out of here and you should get out too. Yeah, that, that was a wonderful scene where he's like, 
the safety of my daughter is my own priority. You understand that. Like, there's no nothing. This is what I've got to do. I thought that was a really great scene. So then Cecilia tries to confront Adrian and she like lays all this, these coffee beans on the ground so she would see if he's like stepping in where and she has this sort of dialogue with him. Mm-hmm. And then she thinks to call his phone and she hears the vibration of his phone above her and realizes that like he was hiding in the loft above and she finds oh, this is like my worst fear someone living in the attic i like, know this, i don't like terrifying. basements and attics i don't want them in a house you know, thank you <laughs> yeah and then it's 360 degrees around me at all times <laughs> she so she goes up to the attic and then she like gets a text from him saying surprise which is a little bit cliche horror film but i'll roll with it <laughs> and then she as she's like crawling over to where the ladder is she like dumps a paint oh uh there's um she goes up to the attic after she calls his number yeah. and she finds his his mobile there a set of keys oh, and, the and there's her portfolio plus there's a like a carving knife in like an evidence bag which she gets out and holds yeah. which later on is used as a murder weapon but also we saw when the knife was stolen when she accidentally like sets a pan on fire and the knife like rolls off the countertop yeah yeah yeah. everything's tied in together (laughs) (laughs) sorry yeah then she goes back over to where the ladder is she thinks she hears him dumps paint out which i thought was a a really brilliant scene where this white pure white paint like um, envisions like a, a dehumanized face it's like not really a human body it's more of like a thing because you see like the impressions of like what you find out is the suit so it doesn't look totally human yeah yeah which i thought was a really a really smart way of doing like the reveal um because it gives you a moment of doubt where you're like maybe this isn't adrian maybe this is something else, else. Yeah. yeah sort of monster yeah 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 so then she like goes downstairs and they fight in the kitchen. And I found, I saw some video footage of, so apparently a lot of it was like either her fighting with a stunt double or Oliver, the actual actor would be like in a suit and they would be fighting. I've seen this, yeah, like in like a, a pure green suit, like yes. acting out. Yeah, well, cause you know, you can't really throw yourself across the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they did have a lot of stunt doubles for this film. <laughs> <laughs> because there's some quite violent scenes. So then she manages to run out on the street and she calls a cab, Lyft, Uber, whatever. And yeah. then she decides to go back to their old house. And she's sort of wandering around and she goes into his lab and finds the suit, which I thought it was so cool. <laughs> and I looked in, apparently, so there was three people who designed the suit. So there was a team who designed it. And they all came from working from Mad Max and Star Wars. Oh, wow. Okay. It really yeah, like, yeah. made sense. But apparently, the real tech behind it, and by the way, this isn't fictional what, what it was made out of. So it's called, it's called active camouflage. Yeah, I've heard of active camouflage before. So yeah, it's yeah. the idea that each of the cameras are also a screen, and each screen shows what is on the other side of the suit as captured by each of those cameras slash screens. Yeah, yeah. So this is real tech, though. <laughs> yeah, it, it like it, it would never work as slickly as presented in the movie. Yeah, but like theoretically, can do what they say. Yes, <laughs> this is why it's pretty freaking scary because this technology is not a million miles away from what already exists. <laughs> 
So she then takes the suit and she hides it in the closet. I did, I thought this was a, a bit of a... Um, I thought it was weird. Why didn't she just take the suit like in her bag with her? Well, I think, I think the thing... Um, I think she didn't want him to realise she had it. Mm-hmm. Like, he never knows if he doesn't... He isn't there, though. No, because she goes to hide it in the closet and it's only after that that he c- yeah. confronts her. So he's only seen her at that point. So... He's unaware that she's made one. Well, why not just put the suit on right away? I thought this. Um, I thought, oh, maybe like it takes, maybe it's like a complex thing to to get into. And she didn't want to like take the risk. Yeah. Um, but my main, my biggest issue with it was how easy it was that this suit was made. Like she accidentally pressed a few buttons and like it 3D prints her like a brand new. Well, I don't think it, it wasn't 3D. It was just revealing it. It was already there. Oh, okay. Is that That's what, what I got. It was just like she was turning off the camouflage to reveal the Okay, that, that I prefer, actually. That makes more sense to me. That's okay. what I got from it. <laughs> was that, yes. Okay. So, yeah, I, I was totally on board with the tech. I loved the visuals of that. Mm-hmm. So she hides in the closet. She's hiding there, and, like, Adrian comes in, and she gets attacked by him, and then she runs back to the cab. She then calls her sister and set up, sets up a meeting with her at the restaurant. My God, this scene killed me. Oh, it was yes. so, oh my God. So they're like talking and bonding and going so fucking well. And then she's about to tell her about the suit. Mm-hmm. By the way, totally parallels the scene a little bit with the Mariner when he's about to tell him about the invisible man, and then the invisible yeah, yeah, man yeah, comes yeah. up and grabs and pulls him away. It's not as violent, but it's there. So then a suddenly, this knife is like levitated between them. And it's just like hanging there and the sister sees it. And then the knife slashes her throat and then flies into Elizabeth Moss's hand. <laughs> and I felt like I was Elizabeth Moss, that I was like really was like, oh fuck. It's yeah. like you can't get out of it. There's like nothing you can do. Yeah, I like... This scene happens, and I'm I'm sat there, completely shocked and fully aware. There's like an hour left of this movie, and I'm like, "How are we? How are we getting out of her murdering, murdering in quotation yeah. marks her sister in front of like a, a rammed restaurant?" Like, yeah, there's no way you can't get out of that. You can't run. Yeah. I mean, phenomenal scene. Just didn't expect it. Really brutal, quick. Like, yeah, and the fact that it ties into like. The set of the knife earlier on. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Really well thought out, but still like very uh, frightening. So then she gets arrested, obviously. She's moved mm-hmm. to the sanatorium because, you know, she's gone fucking mad. And she's screaming that her apparently dead partner is murdered her sister. Yep. So no. obviously you get caught I mean, off it's to the better that she goes into the sanatorium than jail, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So she then finds out she's pregnant with this child. <laughs> It's awful. And then Tom, Adrian's brother, visit her and says, reveals that Adrian knew that she had been taking birth control and had been switching out the pills. Mm-hmm. And says everything will go back to normal if she goes back to Adrian, revealing the fact that he was kind of in on this and like aiding and gaslighting her, which is just like, my God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's just like it's in that moment where it's like everything she's been saying to her friends and they've been thinking she's crazy to think is 100% the, the truth yeah yeah and um, validates that's what's her, at least. so heartbreaking about it 
So she steals one of his pens and <laughs> which is and then she goes back to her room and tries to kill herself in the shower because she's like, You're not gonna have me or the baby. Adrian tries to stop her, kind of calling her bluff a little bit because she knows he wouldn't let her die, really. But yeah, yeah. If they, they felt like that's the first time in the movie where she plays him a little bit. Like, yeah. She's kind of getting control like big, back. Yeah, it's like quite a big gamble, but she she's confident he's there. She knows how much he wants this baby. So she takes the risk of harming herself to draw him into the open. Yeah. Which is good because and this, and this is where like shit hits the fan. From this point on, it is like a hundred miles an hour. Stop after this. Yeah. So she manages to stab him with the pen, which like short circuits the suit, so he's kind of like is flashing in and out. Yeah. And then a guard comes in and he like whacks him over the head, but the door is open, so she escapes. And there's this huge like hallway fight sequence, which I thought was really well choreographed, mm-hmm. where she's like laying down and there's these guards like coming and they just keep getting knocked over and shot. And it just, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't sure. I haven't looked into it, but it felt like it was a bit of a homage to uh, Terminator 2. Have you seen Ooh, Terminator yes, 2? Totally. Yeah. Like in the, she's in like the kind of uh, like insane asylum, like this science fiction thing turns up, starts fighting the orderlies and guards. It felt very reminiscent of that. But yeah, like, like you say, really really well choreographed scene like really beautifully done and then i loved when she then she manages like to get out of the sanatorium and then get into the parking lot where it's the whole like and then there's this other fight sequence in the rain where she's like sneaking around trying to find him Mm. like i was really i was really wrapped up in it and drawn that was gonna be ending i was like we're here i was like what else is there but like it did do two things which upon reflection i thought were a bit like Ah, oh, that's a shame, but I un- understand. All of a sudden, um, architect Elizabeth Moss is like badass, like gun-wielding, hunting down this guy. Um, and they kind of, I think the, the book was really good at sticking to the fact that Griffin was just a guy. Like he okay. could be harmed. Like he gets shot once and that's basically him taken out for a while. Whereas in this, it's like she stabs him a couple of times in the chest with this... It's Plus nice. he's wearing this suit that would probably protect him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, which, which, I, which I do kind of give it a bit of leeway for. But then he's also like, unless the suit's giving it to him, he feels like he's much stronger than like a normal man would be. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like he's throwing guards around and stuff, which yeah. I think is cool and works for it, but he feels a bit more elevated. A little souped up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although he's in, he's in good shape. Adrian yeah. Griffin's in good shape. Definitely but, a good guy. Um, he definitely goes to the gym a few times a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then they like, they kind of finally confront each other like in the rain. Which is a gorgeous, gorgeous scene. It's really well done. And they sort of have this dialogue and he says like, he's going to go and kill Sydney. And this is, it's all your fault. Like, yeah. until you decide to come back to me, everyone I hurt is on you. So, yes. No, I thought that was beautiful, that dialogue between the two of them. Yeah. So then there's, like, a little bit of a car chase scene between them, because he jumps in a car. Sorry, can I pause momentarily, actually? Yeah. There's, it's from, it's from this point on where it's, like, somebody, somebody has to take the fall for, for being the invisible man. Like, at this point, guards and well-respected people have been left alive who have seen something like 
messed up. Like yeah. they've seen this flickering suit, they've been attacked, clearly not by Elizabeth Moss. Um, so at this point, you know there's going to there be There have to be security cameras in that. Oh, place. I said this yeah. immediately. I was like, this has got to be on camera. Like, <laughs> some of this has got to be on camera. Um, yeah, so, sorry, they have a... Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. I think, which leads to what happens next, obviously. Yeah. So, then you flash to, you're in the house, and Sydney is asleep, and she kind of realizes there's someone in the room, and she takes out, um, I don't know. Like a mace can or something? What? Is it like a can of mace or something? Yeah, I think it's like a can of mace. So she takes out like a can of mace and she very smartly like sprays it in front of her and kind of like stopped him for a second. Mm -hmm. And then he, they sort of scuffle and he's like choking her and then James kind of runs in. And then the scene where he's beating James is, oh my gosh. So I found this interview with Elizabeth Moss where she says he did all of that himself there it seemed was, like he was acting just by himself. Yes, because she was like, wow. he's so fit and strong. He was able to like lift himself to make it look like he was fighting someone. <laughs> there was no stunt double. incredible. Which is just like, oh my God. He was, and just when Storm Reed, the city's character, the actress, when she's like screaming her head off. Yeah. As like her dad is like just getting beaten was just, oh, I, I thought that was so amazingly done. Yeah. So you have that, and... Uh, the, the, the reason he knows to go there is once yes. um, once Adrian says to uh, Cecilia that he's going to go and hurt Sydney, there's a bit of a car chase, um, and um, Elizabeth Moffat's character calls James and is like, something's going to happen to Sydney, you've got to stop it. Um, and you've got to think in that moment, he, he now knows that she's no longer in this mental institute. And he might be thinking that she's going there to hurt yeah. Sydney. Because at this point, he thinks it was her who slapped her. So he's concerned anyway. So he's going back. And then he has this incredibly, like, one-sided, brutal takedown with what we assume at this point is Adrian as the Invisible Man. Yes. So then, event, and then sort of Cecilia comes in and she breaks it up and she manages to grab... Uh, James's gun that had got thrown away. I think right? uh, so there... what happens is she she turns up and she uses the fire extinguisher which oh, we've yes, seen and sprays earlier first. on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> right at the start of the film she sets fire in the kitchen when she's making like a fry up. They show they've got a fire extinguisher. She grabs this and sprays him yeah. which like congeals and foams on his chest so like then she can shoot him when she knows where to. She can see where he is, yeah. And she's either brought a gun with her from one of the guards. I think James is good because he was he had his gun gun on. with him, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, like three shots in the chest. Yes. Down he goes. Yeah, you, you'd be dead unless you're actual super. I'm hero. really glad. There was a moment where I really thought they're gonna do like uh, she's checking on James and then he grabs her leg yeah. or something. Well, that's really the thing, you don't know. You get sort of... Yeah, but I'm really glad they went, nope, three shots, he's done. Yeah. And that's when she pulls the, the mask off. And it's and Tom. To... Tom, the brother. Oh Which my God. Which kind of like makes you feel gaslit. It's like, wait, what happened? Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a brief moment where I'm like, is this it? Is Did this... I get it wrong? Yeah, like, is, 
is Adrian dead? But like you've been hearing his voice throughout, and it does sound right to be yeah. him. So I already had doubts. Yes. So then she, you know, obviously she's proven right, and mm-hmm. she's at, you know, she's at the the well. No, the SWAT team then storm her old house, and they find Adrian, who's been like behind a wall, tied yeah. up in the basement or whatever. Yeah, and like he's been like. It looks like he's been beaten up a little bit. Like, it yeah. looks like he's had a rough time. But yeah. So he was, you know, being held captive, apparently. And then she meets with, you know, James, and he says, you know, you got to let this go, obviously. And she's like, no, it was really him. Yeah. And, like, at, th- at this point, you, you're still a bit unsure. Like, it might not have been Adrian. It might have been Tom this whole time, and you're not really sure. But... Cecilia's character is convinced that it was Adrian who killed her sister. And that's the big thing. I think that's why, even though it was really brutal, I think that's why you had to have Emily or someone really close to Cecilia killed or hurt in that way to to give her this drive to kind of see things through the way she does. Because I think if it had just been her he'd been tormenting, she she may have, like, let it go. But I think that was the real driving force. And just also knowing that she literally would never be free if he was alive. Her life. Yeah, yeah. And so then she ranges, she calls him, Adrian, and rages to have a dinner. And you realize that James is there and he's listening in on the dinner because she wants to prove that he's... Yeah, but she's wearing the wire or whatever, yeah. yeah. So... They're having a conversation. It's this really emotional dialogue. But he's, like, still gaslighting. And he's like, you know, I realize I treated you wrong. And he, he kind of, like, his viewer, like, what's going on? And he... And he plays the victim. He's like, My, uh, Tom's always, uh, like, me. manipulated me, controlled me. I've always had to do what my brother says. Like, yeah. So then she goes to the bathroom. And then suddenly... He he's like hand is on the table and like his hand lifts up with the knife and then he slashes his own throat <laughs> and then he like falls and then she like comes in from the back and you have the video camera footage of the dinner from above and then mm-hmm. she comes in and she's like ah he's dead blah, blah, blah. yeah uh, she calls uh, the ambulance or the police or whatever to be like uh, my friends like hurt himself I think he's tried to kill himself. Which were all sort of like we knew that you knew where the suit was, and you went to get the suit. And there was a brief moment when she was screaming, where I thought they were doing like a massive twist on me, yeah. and it was going to be someone completely different. Really, the invisible man, and he'd killed Adrian, and then it was going to be like one final like ramp up moment. Oh wow! <laughs> I don't think yeah. I could take they, that anymore. They, men, they reveal very quickly like she steps out of the view of the camera. And it's like immediately calm face yeah. and just looking at him bleeding out. Yeah. So then she like meets James as she's leaving the door and he's like, you just wanted to hear me as like sort of a witness to show that she wasn't the one who did it essentially. And yes. he sees that she has the suit in her bag and then she like, yes. oh, fucking, you know, I got my revenge. I'm free. Yeah. I loved it. I really, the more I think about it, the more I like it. Yeah, I thought I thought it was like a really great genre movie. I thought it was phenomenal. Yeah, and 
I like the idea of like through the victims of these monsters rather than than the monsters themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like a, it's a much it's a much more interesting dynamic. Yeah, like, well, I don't, like I... just the idea of like the modernization and looking at like domestic violence and abuse and sort of the idea of gaslighting women and just not believing them. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like an incredible like metaphor to kind of focus in on that kind of horrific kind of modern behavior. Yeah. Two hours long, which it felt like it went really quickly, though. I thought so, yeah. I think because you do get that, like, that point where it goes from, like, horror thriller and it takes that kind of more action tilt towards the end, that really picks things up. um, And it is, like, it feels like that is whipped by. And I love the idea of, like, the monster of the tech and the science and, you know, technology is the monster that can be used against us and something we so rely on and like yeah yeah I our was... digital lives and sort of how that affects us Go, going into it i was i was like i'm 99 sure they're not going to have him be like actually invisible and yeah. walking around naked <laughs> or what have you yeah. um no i it, it was very smart in sort of how they integrated you know there were some the tech moments of using the video cameras and our emails and the phones and things like that as like manipulative yeah, yeah. tools and how attached and easily controlled we are by those technologies too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never date anyone who is a scientist who potentially could invest yeah. any- Some tech mogul. Yes. I mean, it just, it feels very much like, you know, an Elon Musk type character, just someone with his uncompromising vision who also, mm-hmm. there has been articles by his ex-wives talking about the reason they got divorced was because of, like, how controlling he was. Mm, that is worrying. So, it just, you know, the idea of these sort of, like, powerful men like Adrian and the anonymity that they are afforded because of their brilliance. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, when, when she, right at the start, when she's, like, escaping his home for lack of a better term it is this like scary tech fortress you know it feels like she's escaping some sort of a modern day castle like some damsel in her Dracula's castle yeah um it's terrifying it's yeah I like the the paranoia of like power as well as like someone becoming to that level of power and how also like him and him He's obviously, like, become more, you know, she talks about the fact that, like, he's become more paranoid and more controlling through his success. And how he can't, he doesn't want to risk anything ruining what he's created. But also Mm -hmm. society kind of reinforces that by being like, oh, you're so brilliant. What you do is so great. And that protects him from being, like, from the stuff he's done to keep that, you know, like, perfect vision. Yeah, yeah. I am... I was surprised, uh, I don't think it like hinders the movie at all, but I was surprised they they did the reveal so quickly. Like you get the moment where he's pulling the um, the kind of blanket off of them and yeah. flicking the lights yeah. on and you're seeing these kind of footprints in the blanket. I thought they were going to build up, is this all just in her head? Like is she still just like yeah. frightened yeah. of him and he is actually dead? Um, I thought they were going to build on that a bit longer. 
Um, no, I feel I like there was a moment where I was sort of like, maybe she is just this like PTSD from the relationship and she's just actually seeing these things because she's so traumatized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then I think as soon as you start getting her thrown around the apartment, it's kind of, it's hard to explain that way, I think. So obviously, again, it inspired the film, the book. Mm-hmm. Besides the name of the main character, well, not the main character, but like the protagonist to the antagonist are the same. But I did feel like there were certain parallels with like how it began and, and and ended with, so in the book, so you have Griffin's traveling to the coach and horses. Instead of like, the obvious choice is like him inventing invisibility as like that is the story which mm-hmm. I felt like was the same in the film is it doesn't take the obvious point of showing the relationship and how it came to be. Instead, it shows the movement and the actions. Yes. Which I think the book does the same thing. Mm-hmm. The, you, know, you know, the book talks a little bit more about invisibility than the film does, but that's kind of in the latter half. That's not actually what the story's about. It's about the events that unfold after the fact. So these yes. are the events that unfold after the fact of the relationship and what he's created. So I felt like there was sort of a parallel between that and then also at the end. So when you have, you know, I think, you know, Cecilia, she's sort of a mashup of the Thomas Marvel and Kemp character, I think as victims. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. Of the Invisible Man and sort of him sort of trying to control them and gaslight them. And the idea that at the end of the book you have marvel who sort of kind of moves on with his life and just is sort of whatever and kind of has his own success but he kind of has kept the books with the signs mm-hmm. of it even though he doesn't necessarily understand the signs he's like i'm protecting this i will have it till i die like i you know yeah he, he's fascinated it. by it yeah Whereas the same with her, like she kind of gaslights everyone else in sort of thinking she's come to terms with everything when she really kind of ends up manipulating him and killing him in the situation, but also then takes the suit and obviously is not going to tell anyone about the soup and suit and just keep it to herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like by, by the end, that final scene, um, Elizabeth Moss's character, like, has started to exhibit those kind of behaviors as well. Yeah. Like she, she manipulates um, Adrian. She manipulates the kind of footage by kind of acting out this kind of scene where she's like screaming and not knowing what happens. She plays um, James, like, cause she's got him there under these pretenses of, I want to get him on like tape com- confessing to this, but really she just wants him there as like a witness. Um, I think it, that, that's the biggest parallel I think it draws from the book is this idea that um, this this level of power is always going to kind of corrupt someone. Um, if you think you can get away with something and have no ramifications on yeah, you, it will what, yeah, what are you willing to do? Yeah, she thinks she can get away with killing him and does so. It's also the other thing, like, when you're in an abusive relationship with someone who's a narcissist like this, you realize you have to be as cold and emotionless 
to do whatever you need to do to mm. escape the situation. So it's kind of, it's, it's twofold. Like, obviously, she's become corrupted in a sense, but also she's had to corrupt herself to be able to leave because if she maintained the moral compass that she had before, she would never leave the relationship. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, through, through his own horrific actions, Adrian has kind of moulded her into the only version of herself that could actually follow through and kill him, yeah. you know? How frightening do you think the book is versus the film? I mean... I... Do you know what's interesting, actually? I, 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 read the, I read the first half of the book and I listened to the latter half as an audiobook. Interesting, okay. Yeah. Um, and maybe it was just the, the delivery, but I found the audiobook version a little more kind of unsettling. Yeah. The kind of, the way the narrator delivered the kind of... <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, the movie is much more kind of chilling horrifying like it's got that incredible balance of kind of thriller and horror moments it does it doesn't really do jump scares it does like incredibly tense moments and then impactful really surprising moments of violence that you're kind of not expecting yeah i am because it can it could be quite silly you know, like and the book does does have moments of silliness, like we said, the kind of slapstick elements of this invisible man character, like people tripping over him and things like that. Him like escaping people by stripping off his clothes is like quite a kind of a comedic element. Um, but in this, there's moments where like she's lifted off the ground, and you're seeing this kind of power of this person, and it's really, really scary. Yeah, and it's. <laughs> You also have like to think in context, like if I was reading this book at the time it was published, I would certainly yes. find it frightening because it feels so like happening in that now, like talking about the shops mm-hmm. that exist, that people in London, if they're reading this, like I know that shop, you know, that could be happening there now. And Yeah, yeah. I think the serialized nature of it might have worked in its favor as well because you get this slow bubble, like, because right from the start, he doesn't, he comes across as a bit mean and a bit rude, but not like necessarily like evil or anything. But by the end of the book, he's done some heinous things. Really violent. When he like yeah. hits that old guy over the head with the beam and just like yeah. smashes him to death. And, it's, and it's, it's very much not just his actions, but it's his attitude towards them. Like he doesn't really see them as bad. Like when Kemp's like, what do you mean you just left this old man tied up? and yeah. bound and locked in his house. Do you think he's okay? And Griffin's like, I don't care. I don't mind. Okay. Like, I did what I had to do. Um, so those, those, it's those moments watching that slow develop is is scary. But I think the whole of the movie is... from yeah. the opening scene, Even when she's just, like, trying to s- sneak out of the house, like, there's that bit where she climbs up a stepladder to move a security camera so she can keep an eye on him. And just that, like, 30-second moment is, like, so tense. Like, I was holding my breath watching this moment, you know? I mean, it is harder, I don't know, to build that tension, I suppose, in a book versus a film, just sort of what you have available to you. Though I think the scene when it's the 
Colonel and Kemp in the house, and they've battered all mm. the windows, and he's trying to break in. Yeah. I thought that was really good and very tense, just that scene, sort of. Yeah. I, I quite like the scene just before that in the book as well, where um, Kemp is watching um, from his yeah. window the interaction between Griffin and um, the Colonel, and he's not quite sure what's happening. I think him him watching his friend get uh, attacked is quite... Well, the same thing from the film as well, that. because, like, you have the Invisible Man has written a letter to Kemp saying he's, like, going to go to his house, and then Kemp tries to, like, get his maid to leave so everyone's safe. And that's similar to yeah, what yeah. Adrian does in the film in telling her that he's going to kill Sydney, and then she's trying to get back to the house. I think yeah, they're, very they're, true. There's more than you think there is from the book in the film. Yeah, yeah. There, there are, like, you can definitely draw loads, like quite a few parallels in terms of little moments and plot uh, details that they've kind of drawn out. Yeah, like the, the uh, hallway fight sequence is very similar to like the on-the-road sequence of him with the townspeople as well, like kind of barrage. Yeah, because that, that's at the moment where, in both the book and the movie, that's the first moment where the Invisible Man's kind of lost his lost his control yeah. of the situation and kind of just has to kind of act on impulse yeah. at the moment. I think that is like a, it's like a turning point for both of them. And just like his even further descent into this crazed, violent madness as he's losing mm. more and more control towards the end of the story. Like, he's just uncompromising yeah. in who he'll hurt and kill to get what he wants. Yeah, but the movie does take it to that uh, that next level when he kind of he uses his brother as a means to try and clear his own name. Like, he goes to that level um, of kind of malice. I'm also wondering, like, what did his brother think was going to happen? I'm sort of like, one, I do sort of wonder, how did he threaten his brother to the point of getting him to pose as him when he most likely would have died, that he knew something bad would have happened? Mm. That's it, though. You don't know, like, if, if it's to be believed that Adrian's been kind of gaslighting and manipulating his brother for, like, maybe their entire life. Maybe he's just so broken at this point that he will just do whatever his brother says. And, like, maybe it is as simple as money. Like, Adrian is, like, incredibly rich. Maybe it's just uh, you can have his an invisibility suit and all the money you could ever want. Just do like, that one thing. People are, like, easily corruptible. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was great. And I, I did, I mean, I... I suppose I, I felt like it captured the essence of the book in the sense of like the power of madness as well as like how it corrupts yourself and how you can you sort of destroy those around you by it. Mm. And I suppose that's what Wells is trying to show sort of the, you know, the destruction that you leave in your wake. But it's in this film, obviously, through the perspective of her but you still see yeah. what he's created and the further the matter he gets, the more he destroys around him through this power. It's sort of, so, yeah, I would say that he did a good job in sort of capturing what. Oh yeah. Taking source material that's like 150 years yeah. old and, and essentially doing something completely different with it, but maintaining lots of the kind of core ideas and themes that Wells was playing with is like an incredibly like, 
hard thing to do and to have done it this well is like a real testament i think what what we talked about last week as well like i respect more someone having a vision and going for it even if it doesn't totally succeed and it's not a perfect film necessarily Mm -hmm. but he's committed to that vision that he had versus someone who just okay i'm just gonna do the book and not have any artistic sort of inspiration by the book because the point of reading a book is you know an author wants to inspire you and wants you to take something from the reading yeah and he clearly has so pretty speak for myself i think you'd agree that i most of the adaptations i've enjoyed the least have been the ones that have done the kind of most bland, straightforward, yeah. scene for scene, no changes, reading of it. Whereas the, 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 the writers and directors who kind of take the source material and change it to fit the new medium or have like a, a specific vision, whether that's um, a theme they want to draw out or like a stylistic choice, those are the ones that I think have done the best job of yeah and as well as you said this is a book from 150 years ago and you can very much tell it was sort of a story of morals for the people of 150 years ago and he wanted them Mm -hmm. to reflect on what power meant in that period and so and then this is doing it like a the 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 modern version of that and it's very much an issue that we're dealing with and he's really like and it's not in like Preachy's not the right word, but it's not in sort of, he's not like yelling at you, like, don't be sexist, like, listen to women. He's like, he's showing you. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, exactly. And like, he's got, he's got characters throughout who, who demonstrate it through their kind of actions. Like, the fact that James wants to believe her, even when she's like, in Tom's office, like spouting your brother's not dead he's invisible and he's still trying to be there and support his friend despite her like having these quite outlandish kind of claims and then you have the example Um, of her sister who doesn't who essentially says it's her fault for not leaving mm -hmm. and then you have like the brother who's also being abused and can't get out so he's kind of taking her down with him you have like the different examples of people not listening really and not knowing what to do when someone yeah, comes yeah. to you to say listen <laughs> this guy's a and bad is, guy <laughs> and it's done in a way where like you say it's not uh it's not preachy or kind of forced upon you but i think you could very much watch this movie and just enjoy it it's like a kind of yeah. monster of the week horror thriller mm-hmm. and, and not kind of draw those things out of it but consciously you'll get it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i think they're they're handled subtly enough and kind of maturely enough that that you can draw a lot out of them if you pick up on those themes. And even subconsciously, like, if you ask someone, if you ask anyone who watched this, why is Adrian a bad man? Like, what's wrong with him? They're going to point to all the things you want them to point to. Yeah. Do you have any other points to make? I think I made most of mine. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, this is... For me, this is difficult because normally we discuss like, did we prefer the book or did we prefer the yeah. movie? And I did, I did prefer the movie. Yes. But like, I'm not taking anything away from the book. I think it is just that that gulf of time in between it being written. I think I, I just did struggle with that kind of that style. 
Yeah, because there was a, a lot of colloquial language, like just the way that people were speaking in yes. English or whatever of the time. Yeah, yeah. And a, and a lot of that, like, was way more noticeable listening to the audiobook version and hearing someone say some of these things out loud. And, and really I did have to, like, of... look up a few things. So I was like, what are you talking <laughs> Me too. Me too, yeah. I like a lot of it. Like, I think from context I get this, but I should probably uh, yeah. Google yeah. just to make sure I'm not really missing something horrific. Yeah, like <laughs> what they called certain things of that time that don't necessarily mean anything to me now yeah yeah so you yeah you're not as necessarily as immersed in the story as you would be in the film but it's gonna it's the same thing if someone's gonna watch that film 150 years from now whether or not they get oh god yeah 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 exactly yeah 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 i mean i no, I really enjoyed the film. I thought the payoff was great you know as someone who doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. watch those type of films normally i thought i got a lot out of it and i'm happy i did yeah. And the book as well, I think it gives me a lot of context to this character who's like kind of been made into sort of this like comedic sort of slapstick, you know, monster. So yeah, yeah. I've got I've got like I know I've got a friend who came to a Halloween party once. Yeah, who did the kind of classic bandages, hat, the glasses, trench coat kind of vibe. Like it is that sort of character that's kind of ingrained in Western. It's like, oh, now I under- understand why he was like that. And totally, it makes a huge difference. Like it's <laughs> like, it's, he's not funny. Yeah. Crazy and like, you know, murderer. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, um, what, what I find interesting about him is um, of that kind of pantheon of, of kind of horror characters, like Invisible Man, Dracula, um, like where, the werewolf, yeah. Frankenstein. The, the Invisible Man is based on this kind of source material. He's the most human, but probably the the most like evil. Weirdly, do you know what I mean? Like Frankenstein's monster is like is a creature who's like persecuted for it. Like the like Dracula and the werewolf is like this kind of curse and they're kind of like driven by instincts. But this is just like a scientist who's kind of gone mad with power, which I think is an interesting parallel. I'm looking up what are the dark universe films. So there's the mummy, Dracula, Bride of Frankenstein, Frankenstein, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, okay. I don't think about it necessarily. Van Helsing, Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> the Wolfman, the Invisible Man, yeah. So the yeah, so those are the ones that they consider a part of that. It's a shame they didn't do all these because we could have read all the books, Nora. No, like literally all of them are based off of books. Yeah. <laughs> well, they you know apparently this is like an ongoing project, though. And unfo- <laughs> I found it quite unfortunate to have read that apparently Lee Winnell is writing a sequel. They're doing Invisible Woman, aren't they? I no, 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 there's two the different things. So apparently, Fifth oh, okay. Banks is doing the Invisible Woman, but the Invisible Woman is kind of more of a comedic character. So that makes okay. sense. And I don't know if that's based on a book at all. I don't think so. I'm not sure, I'm afraid. But apparently, Lee Whannell is writing a sequel to this film, though, which I didn't ah. want to see. I don't know. I just, I like that I don't know. Yeah. Like, I most of my most of the films i love i love are standalone yeah. things um I, I don't get me wrong i'm sure he can do like a really interesting job with a sequel yeah but i just don't yeah. know if it's something i i necessarily need to see and i'd love to be proved wrong i'd love for it to add lots to this first one and be 
a great addition. But and it just I feel like it'd be so obvious in in theory. Hopefully, he wouldn't go the obvious way of like her being corrupted by having the suit. And also there's a question of whether or not she keeps the baby, which I'm sort of like, eh, I kind of don't want that answered necessarily. Like I, I know my personal opinion. Yeah, but... this is it. If you do if you do a direct sequel where you're following characters from this movie again, like you have to answer a lot of these questions. Yeah. Cause I think you can't leave the like there's no way to leave them unanswered. Like if you start the movie and she hasn't got a kid you're answering that question just by having there not be a kid. You know, there's... So, okay, so we can talk about what was our Rosenthorns of the book filmed separately because you can't really, I think, compare the two. Yeah, I think it's hard to... I think it is hard to... Um, hard to compare. Um, okay, oh, if you're happy to go first. Yep. I, um, I'll start with a book. So, my Rose of the book is the whole sequence when Griffin is with Kemp mm-hmm. and he's, he's, he's given you that backstory. Like, cause you kind of come in midway through when he's going to the coach and horses. Yeah. And I loved yeah. him talking about going to Oxford street, mm-hmm. like surviving, kind of adapting to, to this newfound kind of power it was just like a really great scene, seeing him slowly kind of descend and lose his, his morals and humanity. I thought was really, really great. And a tiny, tiny thing. The the whole food thing, like being visible still, I thought was like a really cool and interesting touch. Um, and obviously you can't do that in the movie, but I thought that was really interesting. Um, my thought, and this isn't really like a terrible point, it's like we discussed, it is that kind of colloquialism. It's that, it's that kind of structure of the prose just being from the kind of late 1800s. I found like, was a little less engaging at points. It felt like you could have edited it and tightened it up and it would have been more interesting for a modern reader, but that is like incredibly nitpicky. Um, as for the movie, I think it's a I think it's a bit of an obvious rose, but the scene at the restaurant with Cecilia and Emily was just so unexpected and so interesting. Um, I've had to pick something a little less obvious that we've talked about. I thought the, the whole opening sequence was phenomenal. Like the silence, her sneaking out of the house, us not really having an idea of what's happening, right up until the point where Adrian punches through the window is like such a good cold open, like really, really great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my thorn is, as discussed, the moments where it feels like he is a bit tougher than he should be. Like he takes a bit of punishment and like, you get why they do it. You, you want him to build him up as this kind of monster of a man. But yeah, that took me out of it a little bit, but not really to the detriment of the movie. How about you? I'm pretty similar to you. Like I loved in the book, the sort of exposition of like him explaining the science of how it worked. I was like, oh, this is so cool. And just yeah, yeah. like you can kind of understand why he goes bad. Like you've literally experimented on yourself. <laughs> Um, yeah yeah and like the fact that we didn't really touch on it but he he talks about what the experience was like oh how he, painful it was yeah yeah and you can see like going through something like that and then it not being what you expect yeah. i think could it's really great. push on you literally like destroyed your body for the sake of this experiment yeah yeah so that i thought that moment was great yeah i didn't there's so many of like the twee little villagers sort of you know very like yeah. ordinary people 
with no kind of like grander thought of the universe besides Kemp that I was sort of like, let's tie it up a little bit. I kind of almost would have liked more rain on terror to kind of really push out the the horror of this what he's created turned himself yeah totally yeah like you could have you could have minimized it and had it all take place in the one village but it felt like we kept meeting lots of like a new cast of like (laughs) bumbling villagers or whatever um and maybe uh and the movie yeah so the movie i would say uh I I loved when she had that con- the first confrontation when she's alone in the house and she's on the other side of the room with the coffee beans. The coffee oh, they're just talking to him. Yeah, yeah. and I thought that, that it was just such a good bit of acting of her like expression, like, and you can see her just turning to kind of take like I am not gonna let you fuck me around anymore, and sort of how she's just like head on, yeah. like I'm going for it and I'm gonna go for you. I don't care what you do to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think you, I, I don't think you can understate how good she is in this. Actually, yeah. like she's like a really good through line performance, like very believable in every moment of it. And she's asked there's like, they ask a lot of her in terms of kind of emotional delivery. I think too. What's that? Sorry? Physical aspect of it seems. Really oh God! Yeah, demanding. totally. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I loved her that. I don't know. I mean, the only thing that's sort of missing for me, and I kind of, I understand why they couldn't do it, but again, like, the science bit is, you know, sort of like, ooh, so, you know, that would have been interesting, but I get why it would be very difficult to put that into the film. Yeah, I, but I think, I think that's why they're smart to have it be a suit rather than, like, a more, like, a chemistry-like science thing because you show a suit it's got cameras it turns invisible i think everyone's seen enough superhero films you can it's it's mega tech like you can get by that but if they are like he's like got a mad chemistry lab and he's made a potion or whatever i think yeah i I thought this was a really good one it's not the perfect film but i thought it was great i was like definitely like i was hiding behind the cat it's like oh no oh yeah like i i didn't realize like how like tense and scary. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like it would like, be that scary. Yeah. Um, Did Ellie yeah, watch no, it with I, you? Ellie watched the movie with me. And? Yeah. You liked it, didn't you, James, the movie? She's nodding. She liked it. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, uh, Ellie's uh, rose was Zeus the dog. <laughs> her, her thorn was, there was not more Zeus the also, dog. Also, the horrible discordant music. Ellie's not very good with modern contemporary soundtrack design. Yep, the guy who did the soundtrack, people really like him, so... Yeah, I think the soundtrack's great, yeah, but... Ellie, Ellie's a bit like... She doesn't handle loud noises at all well. Okay. I just don't like things that are designed to sound bad. It doesn't sound bad, does it? It does sound bad. It's impactful. To my ears, it does. Yes. Right. Anyway. Back to your work. Yeah. Well, this is a good one. Thank you for going along for the ride. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm amazed I'm keeping up with these weekly me book too. Wait, I mean, this, I think this month I've sort of lucked out and having like very short <laughs> Having the two comics has is, is made this achievable for me. Yeah, I have to see if there's any other, I don't, yeah, I'll look on the list and see if there's I can, I could do, I could do more novels, but I'd need two weeks, I think. Yeah, I think. Well, I think, I'm thinking other things is short enough. I could do loads of those. That's not a problem. I mean, you should maybe start reading Dune now. 
<laughs> so I saw it was on the cover of Empire, I think. I think it's a recently. Christmas film. It's going to be the big Christmas. It's going to be Christmas, is it? Yeah. Okay, I will start. I will start doing that. Are then. you even Meg in the house? She started reading it. She's like, I want to read it now. So I think I might be. Able it's to meant, it's meant to be amazing. I've got a copy of it. Ellie bought me a copy of Christmas because I've always wanted to read it. Okay. So I do need to do it. Yeah, I'm going to do two. Ellie. I don't think Ellie will be at the June. <laughs> Uh, book club. She couldn't finish The Invisible Man, let alone Dune. She finished Mary Queen of Scots. She can finish anything. I would point out the book club is normally once a month. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she didn't sign up for. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm asking a lot. But yeah, so and like we could definitely we could do like the witches when it comes out. The Roald Dahl. Ellie's very up for the witches. Okay. Yeah, I. I I was terrified of the witches when I was oh a kid. Oh my god, though, me so too. Like, I hope it was yeah. properly scary because I liked how scary it was. At Ellie's pitching, we do the witches like we did Little Women and we watch both yeah. movies and read the book. Yeah. Because the book will be a quick read, to be fair. It like, is. I could read that in like a sitting, no problem. <laughs> no. Oh, I miss, I loved, I was so obsessed with Roald Dahl books. I think I had like the entire collection as a kid. Me too, man. When I was a kid, Roald Dahl books and Goosebumps books were oh, like, I never had I think Goosebumps I was books. super into them when I was a kid. Yeah. Did you read, um, was it like Danny, the, the like pilot one? No, 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 never any of that sort of that stuff. That's a good one. Um, and then what was the other one? The one, what, the Twitches or the the Twits or something? The Twits, yeah, yeah twits. I read the Twits. Yeah. I, I, they've never adapted that one, I don't think. No, I think it's interesting that, like, there's a few of the books that have been done a couple of times now, but a bunch of this stuff never been yeah. done. Okay, well, see you next week for Days of the Big Gold Summer. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm very excited to talk okay. about this movie. Okay. Have you seen it yet? No, I haven't. I, I wait to do it the week of. And so you haven't read it either yet? No. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> well, have a good week. <laughs> yeah. Good thank you. Yep. Um, and I'll see you Monday, if yeah, not. Thank you.